Hello, and welcome to the Clever Pup Podcast with Melanie and Christine. Join us each week as we talk about practical dog training and problem solving to help you enjoy every minute you spend with your dog. We believe every human-canine relationship deserves the most humane dog training methods based on the latest scientific research. No matter where you live, we are here to inspire you, so let's talk about dogs. episode of the Clever Pup podcast. Today we're going to talk about management in dog training. So um, yeah, so management is essentially something that we do before we start the training plan, at least most of the time. We have to um, figure out how to get the behavior to not happen, and so we can start training a different behavior. Or at least that's what do you think? Yeah, is? yeah. I mean, most of the times if we get into um, a training session for the first time, people get to us with certain problems. Yeah. I mean, at least in coaching, is maybe the reason why they contact us. In classes, it's different. But for coaching, they have a specific behavior that bothers them. <laughs> They're calling a trainer in, and we kind of want to give a relief right away. Yeah. So for behaviors to learn, it just takes time. Whereas management is just like something that they can do right away, which makes it very nice for the dog and for the person. And you just said the other thing. If we basically make it un- impossible for the dogs to learn more of the bad behavior, <laughs> then we can actually figure out a way of focusing on the behavior that we actually want. Yeah. You know. So management solutions, yeah, they do a lot of good things for the dog. They give the person some relief. A lot of times they give the dog some relief as yes. well. If the dog was doing something that was, you know, upsetting or frustrating or difficult for the dog, all of a sudden they don't have to do it anymore. And then on top of that, they're not um, practicing it or rehearsing it or just, you know, regularly folding it into their daily routine. And that's a helpful starting place too. Yeah, like it was a crazy puppy, right? So if you, especially the big breeds, if they are six, seven months old, if they are like very tiny, it's not that bad as they jump on you and grab things and hold on to things. Mm-hmm. If they're six, seven months and you have a great Dane, that's a whole different picture. Mm-hmm. And by that time, they might actually getting more frustrated with the dog. So they're basically getting home, they are frustrated with the dog. And then the puppy is like, <laughs> what it did, you know, like, what's wrong with this picture? So and if we just put a barrier up, so basically they cannot jump on you right away when you get into the house, there would be management solution yeah. in the beginning. Putting them in a different room and somebody comes over is a management solution. Yeah. Just like an immediate relief to the problem. It's not fixing the problem. But in this moment, you're just not actually learning more of the jumping up, grabbing and yeah. yeah being and so like in big that, puppy. Exactly. And <laughs> that in that scenario, it's also like it's the starting place that you can start to train a behavior. So all of a sudden, the person's coming in the house, they're not being mauled, you know, <laughs> jumped on, right jumped away. on or whatever. So, um, so then they can walk over, and as soon as their puppy is able to do something that they do want them to do, they can reinforce it, or they can sort of change the whole scenario and then start to train. So that's when it makes training a lot easier to start because. Um, we don't have something happening that we don't like, and then all of a sudden that gives us the opportunity 
to teach the dog to do something that we do want them to do. And in this scenario, for example, um, some people, so if we get in there as positive reinforcement trainers, they tell us, I don't like A, B, C, you know, and we are like, okay, what do you want to see instead? (laughs) What kind of scenario would you like to do? What should the dog do if you get into the house instead of jumping up on you, instead of grabbing you? And most of the pet parents just don't know, you know, they just know they don't want to have the jumping and the grabbing, but they don't really know what else they would like to see. It was a barrier. They might actually have like, okay, I actually like this. So if he would be a little bit away from me, maybe with a toy in his mouth, so he cannot really grab anything else instead of just a toy. And that might also be like the first step of getting them the idea what their perfect solution would be for this reading, maybe visitors mm-hmm. coming over ideas. Yeah. And we can give them ideas too. I think it's just sort of reframing it because a lot of times people think, I have to teach my dog to stop doing this thing. But stop being doing something, it's hard to teach because you need, the dog is going to be doing something and it's always easier to figure out what is that thing? What could the dog do that would actually be fine? What if my dog um, searched around on the floor and we started a nose game right when we walk in? Or what, yeah, or like you said, what if my dog ran and grabbed their toy? Or what if my dog went over and got on their bed? Or what if my dog, um, I don't know, there's, a, there's so many. If you start thinking outside the box, you can actually come up with a lot of different potential solutions. And then, then you have like a training scenario that you can start from there. Yes. But the, and the and the stopping part is just like a hot and cold game, mm-hmm. basically. You basically say um, you don't want that, but the puppy or the dog still doesn't know, okay, what what do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. So they try something else and depending on their energy level, depending on the situations, the yeah. frustration levels, the situations that those behaviors happen in, there might be lots of errors before they're actually doing something mm-hmm. that's the pet parent's like oh finally he's yeah. sitting down he's uh, having all four paws on the floor he's lying down in front of me mm-hmm. which is a very big default like my dog um she didn't jump on me but if she gets nervous with visitors she did with a few people who are not really basically if you go down right away mm-hmm. <laughs> she's very happy with it but if you stay up and you don't pet her she wants to have attention and she jumps more mm-hmm. So, and I had one friend, which she just basically ignored her and put her down all the time. So she just basically grabbed my dog and put her down. <laughs> so my dog learned was this person, I'm going to lie down. So basically she went in there, wanted to have the attention instead of jumping up. She just lied down on the floor, like, okay, I'm going to be down here. And hopefully then the person will just pet me instead of putting me <laughs> down. So this for this specific person, that was her solution of, getting the attention that she wanted versus mm-hmm. jumping up and also like putting herself down. I didn't teach her that, but like, yeah, with the clicker training is kind of nice because they're always showing different behaviors. So they're trying out different behaviors. It was kind of nice to see her solution to the her main problem in this communication was that particular visitor that mm-hmm. I had over a few times. But yeah, like management, I think all of the trainers that I know I would even say all of the traditional trainers probably use that as a first relief. You know, just get it out, <laughs> make it stop. Yeah. And then we see what we kind of want to train, how much time we want to invest in, how much effort we want to put into different behaviors, what's important to the client. 
and then we go from there basically definitely I think it's really common for sometimes people just they implement a management solution and that becomes good enough for them that happens actually a lot and sometimes it's better the dog feels better as well because they especially if it's something like your dog needs some space in the world and the person's saying oh my dog is lunging and barking at the other dogs we can definitely train that that's a trainable scenario that's trainable yeah but sometimes um you know if we change what we're doing a little bit change the space that the dog has change how we're handling the leash a little bit change how we're setting that situation up for them it can help the dog um, feel safer and so I mean not all cases dogs bark and lunge for lots of different reasons but a lot of the time a really common reason that it happens is because they want more space because they don't feel comfortable around other dogs and they want additional space so if we provide that space for them then they don't have to do that behavior and then if they feel safe with us that we're not gonna you know we can slowly kind of start to close that space a little bit and make it a little closer once they realize oh I don't have to walk right by that dog that's staring at me and and tell them to go away because as soon as they bark and lunge everybody makes more space for them so it's a really effective behavior for getting what they want so if we get if we get them what they need by managing it in an appropriate before way before they bark and lunge yeah before they bark and lunge <laughs> then they then eventually they don't really need to do that behavior and you can still do training if you know if the distance is far enough that it's inconvenient for you to be sort of maneuvering around people there's ways to start training from that point and start reducing the distance but for a lot of people if it wasn't very serious um, just making that little bit of space for their dog and then gaining their dog's trust the dog starts to because dogs know they know when they see another dog and the dog's coming towards them and you help your dog out and sort of maneuver them a little farther away they know you help them and they start to trust that you'll do that for them it's kind of amazing, actually. Yeah. They feel more comfortable in those situations yeah. because they just know, okay, my person sees I have an issue here. Yeah. And then we're getting more space and they just feel more comfortable with it. Yeah. It's amazing, actually. There's one dog that I work with pretty regularly and he doesn't really like puppies that much. Um, if they get in a space, he would not be unlikely to kind of snark at them. He's just not interested. But And he doesn't generally like to meet other dogs. He likes to sniff. He likes to do training sessions with me. Um, he likes to just interact with the world. And he likes to hunt for critters. Those are kind of like his main activities. <laughs> and he doesn't really enjoy meeting. He likes meeting dogs that he knows on leash. Like if it's one of his buddies that he's friends with, then that's fun for him. But in general, like meeting unknown dogs, doing leash greetings with unknown dogs, especially puppies, it's not really this cup of tea and so someone came around the corner the other day and they came really close to us and they were kind of driving their puppy right up to him and I left his leash really really loose and I moved a little under the parking strip and he ignored the puppy and the puppy was kind of coming towards him and I asked the person I was like oh you know no leash greetings please which is kind of sad because people are very excited when they have a new puppy they want the puppy yeah they want the puppy to meet other dogs and so the guy was okay with it and he kind of and the puppy wanted to meet Merlin and he kind of like gently steered the puppy away but Merlin I never had to do anything with Merlin Merlin was 100% confident that I was gonna protect his 
small space. space. And it was very small. The puppy was just a few feet away from him. And he was easily just with his head turned away, sniffing the ground, pretending like there was no puppy there. And he trusted me to do that, which I'm pretty sure, you know, if I hadn't created that space for him, he would have felt like he needed to let the person and the puppy know that he didn't want them in his space, but he didn't have to because he knew I was going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is very nice. Which, yeah. like, it all comes down to prioritizing, you know, like, what do you actually want to train and what can you be dealing with management? Yeah. So when we get a dog in our household, like a rescue or, a, so if they're two, three years old, you don't know their history, so you kind of don't know, it's like a black box, you really don't know what's coming into your house, what's their history. And depending on the, the behaviors that they will show you, you will have a gigantic list that you would like to change and train, or you will have a tiny list that you would like to change. But um, if it's a gigantic list, you cannot train 20, 30 behaviors at once, it's just not possible. But you could do 30 management solutions for all kinds of behaviors, and then you focus on the first three that are important to you, and then you work your way through. I have my dog for five years and I still have things that I do with management yeah. just because they are not that important to me. You know, I kind of like to focus on something else on training. <laughs> so, and um, she just, as long as I'm very happy with the management, you can just keep it. Management, for example, for me, I use it at the shelter all the time is throwing treats on their head. Mm -hmm. So with Cassie, I throw them on the ground and she sniffs them in very stressful situations. So that she is basically occupied with her nose on the ground and ignores everything around her. And like you said, with Marlon, she just trusts me that nothing comes in that moment yeah. to her. So she's very comfortable with it. At the shelter, one thing that I really enjoy doing is just getting five to ten treats. And I just basically let it rain over their head. Because if I put it on the floor, they don't know what I did, you know? And they might be so nervous in the situation now they have they are they are looking at everything but not at me and they're not sniffing so i don't get them to sniff by just putting that on the nose and then putting on the floor they might just lose it mm -hmm. forget about it but if i put the treats and let them fall over their head like a, it rains treats <laughs> basically i got lots of dogs they were staring like extremely staring at another dog and I had a hard time refocusing to something else. So just, that was like the last management idea that I had in that moment without pulling him away was getting those treats, letting them fall on their head and surprisingly enough, it was weird for the dog to get something on their head. They were like startled, like weird out, looked down, starts to sniff because there were like treats all over them. You know, which it, is, it is management, but it's like, effective extremely effective that's a great management solution for like we use treat we call it treat scatter basically or get called find it sometimes if your dog hasn't learned it yet it's kind of interesting to know like your dog has to learn how to how to use their nose i mean their nose works but learning how to like search for things with their nose it's one of the best activities you can teach 
your dog. And our dogs already know it. If we say find it and we make a hand gesture and point around, our dogs are like, oh, we're going to use our nose to search around. But if we have a dog who hasn't learned it yet, what Melanie was talking about, just having like sprinkling treats so they kind of rain down on their head. Their dog's like, whoa, there's treats falling from the sky. This is amazing. And then they're like, I know there was more than one. And so you kind of set it up for them to like start to search around for it. And it's also a great way to not use your leash. So if you're in a situation where your dog's having a lot of feelings about something, whether it's another dog or a squirrel or, you know, something, or motorcycle or something that they're like having a lot of feelings about, they're staring or barking or something. Yeah. If you pull on their leash in that moment, it, and sometimes you have to, sometimes you have to get your dog out of yeah. a situation with the leash and there's no other option. But if you can come up with strategies, like if, if the thing that they're staring at is moving away from them and you're just trying to sort of calm them back down, doing a, a find it, like having the treats rain down and letting them use their nose to search around, not only will it break the behavior a little bit the, of the staring, but it'll also help them calm down because using their nose and breathing and sniffing like that, it actually relaxes their whole nervous system. Whereas like adding the leash to the situation is going to amp up their nervous system and make it... And that's the situations where you have to have like an emergency kind of exit, yeah. right? But even in that moment, um, you kind of have to get in front of them and then get them out of there. Which like with some kitties, I have a hard time doing, especially as a shelter, because I don't really know what they will do, in which direction they will go, you know, like where they actually keep staring and I can just work my way up <laughs> until I'm in front of them or will they just jump into a different situation like in a, a critter or anything like that mm -hmm. so um, for them the solution just gives me a little bit more control about my body position because I can stand really stable and do the treat scatter yeah. instead of working my way up. While I work my way up, I'm in movement. Mm -hmm. And if the dog decides to, yeah, I'm gonna jump <laughs> two feet in front, he might actually surprise me yeah. and yeah, would get me further down where I don't wanna go, <laughs> basically. Mm -hmm. So especially with dogs that we kind of, especially if they get a new puppy or if you get a new rescue, you know, you kind of don't know in some situations how they will react, what they will do next. And as I told you, with the client, with the hunting breed, he didn't have this focus into one direction. He just was like in like circles. Yes, in every direction. So for me, that was the hardest thing ever because I couldn't really get a stand where I could position myself in a way that he didn't have any way of pulling me in all directions. Yeah. You know, because if I stand in a way like, okay, he cannot take me forward because I'm positioning myself in that way. If he goes in the other direction, it's like, it's gone. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like management solutions are, we have to get kind of creative. Like there isn't just yes. one thing that's going to work all the time. And so you have to use your lateral thinking skills and your creative thinking skills a lot of times, and sometimes we need multiple barriers or we need multiple ideas Ideas, or we need multiple things happening or we try something and it doesn't work and so we try something else. Um, so yeah, sometimes it's not that straightforward about how you're going to proceed. And so, yeah. So sometimes it could be um, two leashes, mm -hmm. you know, having one leash in the front on their chest and one leash in the back yeah. and deciding like almost like a horse training, uh -huh. <laughs> deciding on what the dog is doing. You have more control if it's in front of them 
you know, if it's in front of their chest. So sometimes you need that, and sometimes you need the back part, you know, get a, like a stable grip of them yeah. while you still have the front part. They make a, I've never, I think I've actually used it, but they make a large circular leash. That so you, you could do like, both, basically, yeah, with one leash? It, yeah, it attaches to the front and the back. And ideally, mm. like in a perfect world, if we're walking a dog on a harness, we would like to have it attached to the back. But um, but that only works if your dog isn't going to overpower you with it, you know. So that either means you have to have some pretty solid leash skills or you have to be sure that your dog's not going to drag you across the street quite funny. Or you have a smallish dog that can't overpower you. So it can work really well in those situations because if you're doing, um, if you're doing a walk with your dog, but that might happen. It's a way for you to walk your dog on the back of the leash, but then all of a sudden, if you need the leverage to be able to hang on to a dog, because um, that's essentially why we would attach it to the front, yes. is because it gives us a way. If a dog is, if you have a, a leash attached to the back of a harness and your dog, and you have a big dog and they take off, it's just um, like uh, they're like a sled dog basically, and if they're even even like not huge dogs are pretty powerful in that scenario, and they they can really yeah they can if they're if it's working. Oh, yeah. I had a collie once who yeah. <laughs> couldn't pull like nothing else. So so in that scenario, <laughs> yeah. So pulling is a whole leash pulling is a whole other topic, and I know like if your dog is always pulling in their harness or the collar or whatever you're walking them on you need to figure out a way to train better walking with that dog that's not that's not but in the beginning you would start with management yeah like trying ways to calm them down during the walk which is like the sniffing yeah you know like using the noses or like outpower them before you take them for a walk which i would have done with a hunting dog yeah you know like just let him run 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 or do a flirt pull if you wanted to to hunt, I would. I don't, if you don't know what a flirt pole is, it's like a. Just wanted to ask you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's you've probably seen them. They're usually like for kitty toys. It'll be like a like a oh. whip. It looks like a horse lunge whip, kind of, or like a, a long. I think I've seen flexible. that for cat toys. Yeah, mainly. they yeah. So they make them for cat toys. So it basically just looks like a bigger cat toy. So you have like a. Like a floppy, and not all of them are floppy. I've seen ones that look kind of like moth like handles. Like a dummy as well. Um, and then I'll have a string coming off the end, and then on the end of the string you have like a fluffy, squeaky toy. So the point of that is that you can, if you have this thing out on the end, you um, wave it around and then the dog can chase what essentially looks like a critter running around on the ground. And that's, uh, if you have a dog who has a really bad time on walks because they're scary or difficult for them, or if for, if you have a dog that's got too much energy or whatever, if you can, you can, if you, if you have a yard or you can even do it in the house if you have a big enough space, you know, and then you just... You can, could do it in a park with like a very long yeah, leash. Yeah, you, you could. don't trust them, basically. Yeah. So creating that outlet, so like for a sport dog like that, if you could give them an opportunity to chase and catch and chase yeah, and catch for, for a him, while. It's hunting. Yeah. yeah. It might just at least get some of it out of their system. And then, so yeah, I guess providing, I, I never thought about like 
you know, sort of providing those needs as a management strategy, but it actually is. Like, yeah, 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 it is until you learn the skills. So yeah. dogs don't know naturally how to walk on a leash. Mm -hmm. That's why they're freaked out by the leash, the harness. Like we see that all the time that dogs are very uncomfortable wearing those equipments. Yeah. So they're just, it's just not natural for them to walk in this kind of way. So, and it's also not natural not to pull. I mean, you should assume it's uncomfortable for them to pull, but it doesn't seem like it. All of the dogs that I walk, they don't seem uncomfortable with the pulling. It's different if you use um, a shock chain or something like that, you know, then it should be uncomfortable, but still then. I still see still them pulling. Pull. I've seen dogs pull in everything, whether it's a collar, a harness, whether yeah. a head collar, uh, any kind of like anti-pull thing, dogs still pull. You know, some dogs don't, but some dogs do. I've seen plenty of dogs still pulling in any kind of equipment you can put on them. So I think in terms of management, I would say most of those kind of devices that are just to give you leverage, like if you're going to use a And you could collar. say it's management. It is management because the thing is, is if you have a big dog, because I know because I'm in this boat, I have a big dog. <laughs> Yes. And I, I don't, I'm not crazy about using head collars, but I use them on her sometimes because she can overpower me, especially if I'm walking her and my other dog, but she feels so like a safety issue. It's a safety issue. And it's also, um, it's also a reinforcement. If she drags me and I, you know, and she, and it hurts my wrist and they drag me across a lawn and they chased a squirrel up a tree. And that was really fun for them. I got hurt <laughs> and angry and upset about it, but they had a good time. So you can't let them. I mean, they just got reinforced for doing something. I really don't that's want amazing, them to. right? With pulling, yeah. Just going forward, it's a reinforcer totally. for them. Yeah. So meaning that if you take them down or if you give them pain during this process, it's a reinforcer to going faster to the place where they wanna snip want to meet another dog, want to eat something that they found a burger or something on the sidewalk. It's just way much more interesting for a dog as to get punished, basically, for the pulling. Frequently, that's true for dogs. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we kind of need something that's more valuable, basically, than the pulling. <laughs> you know, working with us and maybe... So for, for me, with my dog, I actually have a yes and no cue. So basically, um, I want to give her more room outside of the leash. But I don't want to get pulled to whatever she wants to smell and figure out or investigate every time it's outside of this um, leash range. So if she, figure out, she, she basically goes to the back, to the end of the leash, she feels the pressure on her, on her, um, yeah. on her neck. And then she looks back at me, like, okay, can we go a little bit further? <laughs> you know, so I have eye contact. And the reinforcer is not food in this moment. The reinforcer is actually letting her go and sniff and investigate the place. Yeah. And then I can say yes or no, because she also asked me if there's a burger. And she sees a burger. Then she always also gets <laughs> to the end of the leash, looks back at me like, could it? <laughs> and then it's obviously like, no, you're not going to eat the burger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so those management tools can become, like, feeling them on their body can be a cue of some sort, yes. too, as well. But you have to train them. I've just never seen one that's 100% foolproof. I mean, I think, like, anything you put on them, they might potentially pull in. So I think no matter what you're using, you really should think about 
also implementing training because, yes. um, and I think the feeling of those things, like if they feel like whatever it is that feels like, what I do is I just stop walking if my dog wants to get to something, if they're pulling and I don't want them to, I just, and they have learned, oh, when I, when the leash gets tight, that means I have to, they have to pick a different direction. They're not, they are no longer, what they're doing is no longer going to work. And if they want it to work, they have to try something different. And because that often works, they try right away. Like they get to the end of the leash. They're like, oh, I'm at the end of the leash. I have to try something different. And they know that's what they need to do. So, but yeah, I think like there's a bunch of different things you can put on your dogs to keep them from pulling. There's like no pull harnesses and all kinds of different equipment, but I've never That's seen equipment. Yeah. I've seen things that work to prevent your dog from overpowering you, but I've never seen anything that was like a foolproof strategy yeah. to, keep, to make your dog not pull. I just don't think it exists. And it's I like mean, a starting point. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Like with all those management things, it's just like, okay, you have it, you start. And then you start the behaviors you would like to see, like check-ins, yeah. eye contact, walking near you, mm -hmm. coming back to you instead of just being on the end of the leash. All those kinds of behaviors, just like something that's just getting built up over time. It also takes time. Yeah. And not every moment will be easy because if you go to a park, they see water, they see a ball on the end of the park. It's just like there are situations where it's much harder for them to work with you because the environment is just like so much more interesting than you are basically. But the management will still give you the first two steps into the direction of getting a nicer walking yeah. experience. As the other management will be, um, I think counter surfing is a big thing, oh, yeah. especially for um, big breeds. Even even um, a poodle, like. For my himsa, one of the trainers got a poodle and she has a hard time her not jumping on the kitchen. Oh, yeah. I mean, she cannot get anything. I mean, she's tiny, right? <laughs> but she still tries. <laughs> but, like, counter-surfing is, like a, it's like, a gigantic thing. And the first management solution trainers tell the pet parents, yeah, all right, let's until we have trained yeah. something else, don't leave anything on the counter. Yeah, don't leave anything on the counter. And also, don't give your dog access to the counter, you know? Yeah. Like, whether that means, like... <laughs> put up a, some kind of a barrier so yeah. that your dog, and then when you, and then, yeah, and also... So if you're in the middle of cooking and you have to leave the kitchen, take your dog with you. Yeah. Basically. Exactly. <laughs> Those are all management. You don't really train a specific behavior of what the dog should do, why you prefer his food or your food, but you're still avoiding the counter-surfing until you build up those behaviors that you can trust your dog. You need around a chicken on a counter. Yeah, and you need a long time to get there for a yes. lot of dogs if it's happened already. And there's a bunch yes. of stuff like that in the house, like the dog got into the garbage and ate something really delicious, or the dog spent half the day snoozing on the sofa and it was so comfortable and they loved it. You know, if they've already realized that these activities are highly reinforcing for them, you're working out of a hole from that point and yes. you have to like manage it for a long time train something different and it can take a really long time for them to sort of re you know to redo what's happening there so that's a long-term management thing with the training and you can there's lots of ways to train that I wouldn't bother training garbage like I I never understood I think garbage is a hundred percent just a management thing just Put the garbage where they can't get it, you know? Like, that seems pretty obvious. <laughs> With the sofa, you can do things like, you can block the sofa and then 
make a new place for them to sleep. Give them a, an elevated So you mean bed. if they don't want a house that are on the couch, basically? Yeah. How you would deal with the management? Yeah, I've had people say that they, you know, they're like, they, I think they feel like when they're home, they tell the dog, you can't be on the couch. And so they feel like the dog understands, I'm not supposed to be on the sofa or the couch because I, because my human told me not to get on the couch. So I know now I'm not supposed to get on the couch but dogs learn in context and so what they learned was I'm not supposed to get on the couch when my human is right there <laughs> because they tell me not to do it but when the human's gone it's fine no but nothing happens and I have a nice comfortable experience so they don't they don't understand things that way so if the couch is unavailable to them when you're gone but there is something really comfy for them to sleep on then they can form a new habit oh I sleep on this my bed, you know, whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, they get very much good feelings about their bed. Yeah. It's getting more and more comfortable. They just feel good about lying down there. So yeah. so high possibility is there if they leave the house, they will actually choose their bed. Right. But you also have to make the couch unavailable for a long time. And you also yes. have to think about, like, why do they want to be on the couch? Sometimes the other options we're giving them are missing an element. Like the couch smells like us. It smells like the people that live there because we sit on it all the time. Maybe that's comforting. Maybe the couch is by a window and they're watching out like things that are going out the window all day. Like there might be more reasons than than them just needing comfy bed. They might be like, yeah. That would be the next cue, right? What do you do if a dog jumps on the windows all the time? Oh. And watching the neighbors and every time. So basically Lego neighbors watch. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's a dog, there's a person, there's a bike, there's a car. Oh my gosh. I think lots of people use that for enrichment because I've tried to tell people, they're like, oh, my dog just barks his head off and the neighbor dog goes by and he's so mad about it and I was like well and they're like he barks at the window but he also barks if we're outside I'm like well he practices barking at that dog you know every single day a couple times a day and so now when he's outside it's like oh it's that dog that I bark at you know so as long as he's practicing it in the window I think for a lot of people it's they they feel like their dog is getting um, an enriching experience from looking out the window and that's possibly true so I think it's kind of a check and balance it's like if you don't want your dog to bark at the mailman and that one dog that goes by all the time and like the person with the funny hat or something then you can't let your dog practice it a few times a day every single day because then it's just going to be a really 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 strong behavior so if you have an alerting dog what would be your management solutions if i have a child like an alerting dog like a dog who's always like there are things happening around the house all yeah. the time so if they I mean, always alert i mean i in those cases i almost permanently block off that because i feel like I mean, I know on the one hand, people think the dogs are enjoying looking out the window. And I think for some dogs, that's true. But for other dogs, I think it's stressful. I think they're just like, I have to make sure that I'm watching for the... And so for those dogs, I think, you know, they're not sleeping and they're not... So I would totally set up a management system where, you know, we often will cover the windows with something. We might even set a barrier so that they can't get to that part of the house. We add white noise of different kinds, music or... A white noise machine or something from the television we add sort of like a safety bubble around so they don't have to do that hyper vigilant you know like uh, you basically block out everything that's surrounding them yeah. so it's keeping them safe 
Yeah. And decide off their house. I think that actually makes a lot of dogs feel better, but there's other dogs that don't bark very much, and maybe they do sleep. I know there's a lot of dogs that do fine spending their day looking out the window, and it's not hard for them to rest. It's not hard for them to sleep. They don't bark at, they might bark at one or two things, but they're not barking the whole time. So I think you have to evaluate, like, is this dog okay doing this? Or is this like a problematic, stressful behavior for the dog? And is it building behaviors that are going to be difficult outside as yes, well? Yeah. Absolutely. I, I really enjoy the um, sound version, you know, like the sound, having kind of noise yeah. in your house. So the dog will be less likely to listen. Mm-hmm. So, um, when I lived in apartments, I mean, you have a lot of traffic around you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so you have, um, if you live in an apartment, you have lots of noise around you, right? Yeah. So you have your neighbors um, downstairs, upstairs, right next to you. And you have a hallway, which doesn't belong to your dog. So people passing your hallway. And depending on your neighbors, they might also have dogs. So all of the doggy neighbors will pass (laughs) right directly the entrance hall. And some dogs have big issues with being so close to their Mm -hmm. private space. So for my dog, if I am just living in the house, you know, I'm just cleaning up, I'm moving around, I'm, I'm making some noise, some kind of noise, just by living into the apartment, she's completely fine. She will sleep relax, whatever, if I read a book, which is like the most quiet thing that you can actually do, or listen to a podcast, guys, <laughs> then you actually have no other noises around you. And then the moment where she is much more um, hypervigilant mm-hmm. about what's going on around her. She recognizes the noises around the apartments. She hears the tinkling from the leashes from the neighbor's dogs and is not happy about that. So, and most of the times, if I listen to a podcast <laughs> or read a book, I turn on music. So I basically put on my Alexa, put on some music for my dog. It will be so quiet that it doesn't bother me doing so quiet things for myself. But it will be just there. So my dog will be relaxing and just being calmed down. And we basically turn out all of the outside, yeah. which is amazing for um, fireworks right? Yes. So for for fireworks constructions, if you yeah. have a problem dog who has problems with construction, there's a neighbor building a new house or anything Garbage like that. truck day. Garbage truck day. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or like mailman. You yeah. know, you know, like at some point the FedEx truck will come. Mm-hmm. And if you remember the time around the time, you can actually have those management. Yeah, and it really helps your dog because they dogs need a lot of rest and sleep. They they sleep a lot more than humans do, and they really need that rest. They're less cranky. Yeah, and if they're not getting it, it's just not. It's just very not good for their overall well being. Yeah. Yes, it is. And I'm glad you mentioned fireworks because one thing that we talk about as trainers now that gets brought up. Not all the time, but sometimes is adding medication, like adding um, anxiety meds or adding, um, uh, sometimes you have like a lot of naturopathic stuff that people are using now. So that gets brought into the conversation sometimes, but as a management strategy for starting to work with a dog who's experiencing like uh, trauma or experiencing any kind of like high level of anxiety. And you probably know if you have a dog like this, there's um, 
there's like shelter trauma that happens sometimes from dogs who were adopted um, or dogs who have high anxiety and you, you can see that they have like you know hypervigilant blown out pupils there's a whole well there's a whole bunch of behaviors that you'll see that go along with that but I feel like that can make and I'm not saying that you should medicate your dog you know but it is there it's a possible management solution yeah. and and when I say management I think I mean management in conjunction with a training plan because yes. um, I think you're never gonna see uh, a lot of recovery if you aren't doing both of them together yeah but like as a starting point yeah. you know for some dogs you just need it as a starting point to just calm them down a little bit so you actually can train with them exactly especially like in separation anxiety that's yeah, like separation a really, anxiety or dogs who are exhibiting um we call them like stereotypic behaviors things like light chasing um, or running around in the kennel yeah or stuff. biting biting their own body um, oh, yeah. tail chasing yeah there are, there are some behaviors that just never stop, basically. Yeah, and they're sort of, it's kind of like, it's like animal OCD. We don't call it that because we don't, we can't ask them if they're obsessing over something, but <laughs> it is like a compulsive behavior. So that's something that you almost always want to try to medicate. But it's, yeah, it's hard to change behavior in a dog who is Non-stop stressed. Yeah, it's yeah. just not... I think you told me about that they started to use more and more medication in shelters yeah. because they cannot, it's, it's very, very hard to calm them down in this environment because all of the other, if there's one dog in the 30 kennels that's freaked out, you know, hates being there, running around, barking at the door nonstop. We had a husky once who was just like, tried to climb down and he basically put his whole feet under the kennel door and then cried like it was getting stuck mm -hmm. and the first time we tried to get the paw back in because it looked really painful and it sounded painful because huskies tend to sing you know they're making this very high-pitched singing noise but it wasn't he was he, yeah he was just like Don't i mean was a was a husky it looked so dramatic but like he was just like it was just his thing of getting attention and getting... And he wanted to get out of there. He wanted to get out of there, yeah. And that was like the fastest way, the most way he could go. And then he was just crying to um, have like an outlet, how other dogs would growl or bark. So crying for him was a way of getting his emotions yeah. kind of out. And in those kinds of scenarios, there's like no base to start with. You know, as soon as you let him out, he's just running away from the place he might actually run away outside just being trying to get away all the time that you don't have a you don't have a base to start training with yeah so yeah in this they're emotional in, state there's they're in flight or fight mode yeah fight, fight or freeze mode they're in like they're just in survival mode basically so yes yeah. survival mode is yeah, yeah exactly so for those kinds of cases it's important to this medication to just they won't be like you cannot give them a pill and they will be like, oh, I'm okay. Right. <laughs> I'm loving it here. But you can give them medication to have like a base where you then start working from. Yes. And you cannot do just the medication in this extreme cases. No. And, and I think in most cases, it's not fair to expect meds to do all the work. I feel yes. like <laughs> you, have to, you have to put something in place to help the dog start because there's the whole uh, like biofeedback thing, you know, in the same way that we would do yoga and do breathing, 
um, to feel better or that we would do, um, you know, go out walking in nature to feel better. Like all the things that humans would do to feel better in conjunction with meds can potentially and then there's yeah if you put us in their shoes if we have a depression and we get medication for the depression but we are just sitting at home and we don't do we don't talk about it we don't experience anything that's actually making us differently or making us feeling good in any kind of moment even with the medication we won't get out of the hole of the depression Mm. you know you need the medication to have like a starting point and then you need lots of lots of positive um, emotions, you know, lots of positive um, experience, and that depends on the person or um, on the dog, which what is positive yeah. for them, yes. <laughs> get them where they are, and then you're just seeing lots of lots of different behaviors over time. Will take some time, and then you can adjust the medication, have a little bit lighter medication, do a little bit more exercise so that it was fun for your dog, try something out new if the, if the dog likes it. Mm-hmm. I know Pepper tends to shut down in very new locations. Mm-hmm. So yeah. just completely being new doesn't also mean, doesn't necessarily mean it's good. <laughs> right, that's true. Yeah, she gets very stressed in new places and um, I haven't thought yeah, about that before. There's like new. There's other things besides like prescription meds that people use as well. Sorry, what were you gonna say about her? No, I was just saying like I like how you do it with her because you basically so your starting point is get getting her comfortable into certain spaces mm-hmm. that you take her often, and then you try to expand it a little yeah. bit. You know, that, like taking a little bit a different road. Mm-hmm. You know, like in the same place that she already likes, but we're going to take a little bit different. Yeah. And then in the neighborhoods that she already likes, we're going to take one different block. You know, like very tiny increments of change that makes her like, okay, change is not that bad. <laughs> yeah. But you don't put her in a situation where she's just like, okay, this just freaks me out. I just want to get out of there. She wants to run out of there. She shuts down and just um, make, makes herself tiny or it's not available to you it's not checking in with you any kind of those behaviors we want to avoid i always wonder if it's about like because she was rehomed i'm her third rehome and i she was only one year old when you got her yeah she was yeah she was a little over one and she was still a puppy the first time she was brought to a shelter so sometimes i wonder if it's um you know, if for her, she's like, worried that you would bring her to a new place. Yeah, I I wonder about that. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I wonder if she <laughs> made a connection. It's like taking her in the car to a novel location <laughs> is a predictor that you know her so whole world is going to be turned upside oh, down. That would be such a sad um, predictor. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know the I don't know if that's the reason because I can't ask her, but I wondered if that was the. It could just be that she's a sensitive dog and she has having just having sensory overload from, you know, from new experience. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the main thing, right? Yeah. In dogs, we cannot ask them. Yeah. So we just, we just going into a situation, we're just going out of the house and we're seeing the dog is just like happy, tail wagging, elusive body language inside. Yeah. But as soon as we put them in front of the porch, they're shutting down. Yeah. And we don't know why. Yeah. You know, we can just, yeah, can just deal with, okay, this is the fact, so we're going to make them more comfortable. I think, I'm not sure who told me that, but there was like a um, German shepherd who was very uncomfortable in their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So they basically, their starting point was taking them into a car. She was okay with car rides. Taking them to another neighborhood 
doing walks with her there. Mm -hmm. So the starting point was not getting her comfortable outside of the house, right outside of the house, but more like, okay, we're going to try a different neighborhood, see how that goes. And then we work from there. I think it was actually Frank was one of the walking clients he has. I think it's genius when people just start to think outside of the box in that way, because um, because it would would seem like we would need to train the dog to start, um, you know, coming out of the house but you know you can just completely rearrange the environment or the the, the way context doing, the context exactly yes. and give them something you can it's always possible to try that and just yeah see what happens. so if you get a rescue and they're freaked out in a city one thing would be taking them out of the city yeah either it was a city park if that helps or go on a hike yeah you know it might you might have a completely different dog you know might completely actually being very happy in this environment I know, um, I know the city dogs don't have much problems with moving into suburban areas, like going into villages or farms, but I know farm dogs have a hard time going into the city because they have like so much going on. Yeah. You know, so a management solution would be just taking them outside, having nice walks with them, having building a relationship until you're actually getting a starting point closer and closer where you actually would like to take them or walk them. Yeah. Anyway, guys, <laughs> I think we can talk, like, I don't know, for probably two, three, four more hours about we didn't this. Even, we made notes for this, and we haven't even really scratched the surface. Yet, so I guess we'll break it down into something smaller, but... Yeah, yeah I, I think we're going to do a few more of those, like, later yeah. at some point. <laughs> Maybe do, like, specific situations yeah. where we talk about just one or two behaviors. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Anyway, well, yeah. All right. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening. Please share and comment. All of the good stuff. See you next time. Bye.